0: Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett.
1: And I'm Sabrina.
0: And today we'll be talking about Trudon Formosus, as well as dinosaur news. So first in the news, there was an article published in Scientific Reports on Nature by K.S. Brink, among others, titled Developmental and Evolutionary Novelty in Serrated Teeth of Theropod Dinosaurs. It describes how they believe serrated teeth impacted theropod dominance And allowed them to have a, quote, hypercarnivorous diet. And they described that as feeding on large prey and being able to crush bone. They also believe that these serrations probably played a role in how theropods became so widespread. The paper has some excellent pictures of thin slices of teeth. And we talked about it a little bit in another episode where we were talking about the new laser fluorescence technique and how one alternative was slicing thin pieces of bone and then you can illuminate it and see all sorts of neat structures and different layers of the bone. And they did the same thing in this case and they used it to look at the different layers and the structure of the teeth. And then they compared them to electron microscope images it's a really neat way to show the difference between a lot of the theropods. So what they did is they have the SEM right next to the thin slice picture, and then they show a bunch of dinosaur teeth all in a row. So they have a Coelophysis, an Allosaurus, a Carcharodontosaurus, a Gorgosaurus, and a T-Rex all in one little group. And it's cool to see the different types of serrations that they have on the teeth and how they look all close up. Specifically, they show the different denticle, and I'm doing air quotes that you can't see, sizes, (laughs) and denticle in this case is the term they're using to refer to a single serration, so like one of the little bumps on the tooth. The authors point out that serrated teeth typically indicate a carnivore, and serrated teeth have evolved sporadically in many different animal groups, including archosaurs, phytosaurs, which are around the same time as archosaurs, but they were sort of amphibious and stuff, and of course dinosaurs. And in theropods, nearly all of the dinosaurs that have been discovered have serrated teeth. Brink and his co-authors also analyzed an earlier paper which discussed some enamel cracks in an albertosaurus, which at the time was hypothesized that the cracks dissipated stresses on the tooth during feeding. But Brink and his co-authors instead believe, The development of the deep folding increases the depth of the denticles within the tooth, likely strengthening each denticle, as does clickadentine in the tooth roots of some fish and amphibians, creating a tooth microanatomy unique to theropods. They think that, The structure specific to these theropods made the serrations even stronger than they would have been otherwise. But it wasn't cracks, it just was evolutionarily there. They also proposed a different tooth composition that would have made the teeth more durable since the theropod tooth replacement is estimated to take about two years, compared with a few months for smaller animals with similar teeth, like the modern Komodo dragon. It's interesting that they have similar teeth since obviously the Komodo dragon didn't evolve from a dinosaur, but I guess they have similar teeth anyway. They also go into a lot of detail about how teeth formed and they looked at a lot of, you know, teeth that hadn't erupted from the jaw of a dinosaur, but I'm not going to go into all that detail because it's a little bit dry for people that aren't dentists or otherwise super into teeth. (laughs) The last interesting thing I want to mention about the paper is that they note that some theropods maintained the serrated teeth, even though they may not have been strict carnivores. Specifically, they mentioned Trudon, which is our dinosaur of the day, and they say it was likely an omnivore, but it still had those teeth serrations.
1: There's been a lot of debate and controversy about what Trudon ate, though, we'll get into that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the authors did say it may not have been an omnivore. Maybe it just ate soft food, but they don't think it was a carnivore, apparently.
1: Next in the news, Pixar released another trailer for The Good Dinosaur, which is set to come out in theaters on November 25th. And for those who may not be familiar, the premise is, what if the dinosaurs didn't go extinct? And it looks like there is a protagonist sauropod who befriends a little human boy, and they have some adventures. Like the first trailer, this second trailer features no voice dialogue, but the imagery is beautiful, and the story looks whimsical and touching, and of course, since the protagonist is a sauropod, that makes it really good automatically, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Since my favorite dinosaurs brontosaurus i could say brontosaurus again
0: no bias here
1: scott mendelson on forbes wrote an interesting piece about the marketing campaign for the good dinosaur mainly that there's no dialogue in these first two trailers according to him it's hard to tell at this point if the movie will live up to the emotional hype or maybe it'll end up being comical since other famous non-dialogue trailers of animated movies include this one movie epic where the trailer does live up to the title of the movie it's all very for lack of a better word epic
0: (laughs) yeah pretty serious
1: but the actual movie sounds quote just like every other comic tinged kid-friendly animated adventure over the last 25 years so the jury's out for the good dinosaur but i have high hopes and we'll be posting links on our blog later if you want to check out the trailer
0: yeah i don't think epic was a pixar movie but pixar movies tend to be pretty kid-friendly in general
1: Mm -hmm.
0: next in the news. We've talked about the replica Diplodocus skeleton that has been on display in the Natural History Museum in London since 1979 on the show before.
1: Yes, in episode 6, Spinosaurus, we talked to author Kieran Pym about...
0: What got him interested in dinosaurs, right?
1: Yeah, and his whole thing was he loved Dippy, and then we found out about this campaign, hashtag save Dippy, and apparently Dippy was not saved.
0: yeah. Dippy definitely was not saved. (laughs) But apparently it is going on tour. So they officially announced that it's going to be taken out in 2017 and replaced with a skeleton of a blue whale. And apparently the blue whale is going to be suspended in a way where it appears to be diving. Looking at that hall where Dippy is, I don't know how they have enough room. Because if you really want it to be diving, the thing's like, what, 90, 100 feet long or something?
1: Maybe it's the beginning of a dive.
0: So just like a little tilted. Yeah. (laughs) And then in early 2018, Dippy is going to go on a tour around the UK and they will have to obviously disassemble it at each location and it's going to take quite a while to disassemble it and reassemble it. So it'll be in each location for four to six months which is a pretty long stop for a tour. Anyway, apparently, since Dippy is so big, the place will have to have at least 80 or 90 feet, since the skeleton is 70 feet, 21 meters long, and they'll have to arrange their own educational exhibits. They haven't mentioned where it will be on display, although they did call it a, quote, UK tour, so probably not outside the country. And they also didn't mention where it will end up after the tour is over, if it's going to be anywhere permanently.
1: Speaking of the UK, BBC News published an article called Why We Like to Believe that Dinosaurs Were Scaly, and these articles seem to come out more and more lately since we know dinosaurs were tended to be more feathery, but the media still continues to portray them as scaly, and it's always interesting to hear about the history. So this one goes through the history of how people viewed dinosaurs, starting with Richard Owens' coining of the term dinosaur, which is Greek for terrible lizard, and Owen worked with the British sculptor Benjamin Waterhouse Hawkins to build a Victorian Jurassic Park in Crystal Palace Park in London which is apparently still around, so we will have to look into that.
0: Yeah, I think the Crystal Palace fell apart a long time ago, but the park is still there.
1: The dinosaurs that they built were so big, Owen apparently held a British Association for the Advancement of Science dinner in an Iguanodon, which would have been awesome. At the time, there was a lot of debate over the Iguanodon and other dinosaurs, such as how Iguanodon moved or even stood. And the article goes on to talk about Edward Hitchcock, a geologist who wrote the poem The Sandstone Bird which was published in the magazine The Knickerbocker in 1836. Hitchcock had found three-toed tracks in Connecticut and thought it came from an extinct stork-like creature, and the poem basically asks the bird to show itself outside the rocks, but then the bird comes out and is disappointed that the world is ruled by small men who seem to hate each other, so the bird goes back into the earth. But by 1870, scientists realized that these tracks were from three-toed dinosaurs that ran on two legs. And now the big news about dinosaurs is, again, that they're more like birds than reptiles. They're warm-blooded, and most of them probably had feathers that were possibly ginger, white, and black in color. Small and medium dinosaurs were probably covered in feathers, while the larger ones may have shed them as adults, like T-Rex. And so far, though, dinosaurs in the media meaning Hollywood, are still portrayed as scaly. And according to one professor from Kingston University, John O. Malarca says, quote, I don't think they would have allowed feathered animals to be the monstrous creatures. There's something about feathers that is just a bit comical. And the article ends musing that Dino from the Flintstones, which was bright purple and had a tuft of feathers at the top of his head, May have been, quote, closer to the mark than we realized. <laughs> <laughs> and last in the news, Yahoo shared a list of 10 places in the U.S. to, quote, get your paleo on. And this list includes Dinosaur National Monument in Utah and Colorado, which seems like an obvious choice. Paleo World Research Foundation in Montana, where non-paleontologists can help dig for fossils in the Hell Creek Formation for $170 per day. Dinosaur Valley State Park in Texas in Glen Rose, where you can see the acrocanthosaurus tracks, as we mentioned in our last episode. Connecticut Dinosaur Trail, where you can stop at the Yale Peabody Museum of Natural History. The Dinosaur Palace at Nature's Art Village with more than 40 life-size dinosaurs and Splash Pad, a dinosaur-themed water park. Astro Gallery Gems in New York where you can buy rare museum quality dinosaur fossils, like a Diplodocus foot for eighteen fifty or a Velociraptor claw for twelve thousand five hundred dollars, Dinosaur Discovery Museum in Wisconsin, which has no emission fee. A Maryland Science Center in Baltimore, the Museum of Western Colorado, you can sign up to go on Dinosaur Digs for one hundred forty dollars each for one day, or three hundred and seventy five dollars for a three day dig along the Colorado River. Rocky Mountain Dinosaur Resource Center in Colorado, which is a kid-friendly museum. And of course, the American Museum of Natural History in New York. So we've gone to a couple of these places, but now I think we should start a list of places to see around the U.S. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. And now for our dinosaur of the day, Trudon, whose name means wounding tooth. It lived in the Cretaceous, and it's a theropod, but its teeth were different from other theropods that were known about when Trudon was discovered.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of an expert on that now, I feel like, (laughs) after reading the whole scientific paper. So I'm just going to jump in here for a minute. They look at the grooves and the size of those denticles, the big serration pieces, and on those Dinosaurs, I mentioned the T-Rex, the Carcharodontosaurus, Allosaurus, all those big crushing Coelophysis, not so big, but still, you know, lots of meat eating going on. Uh, they had really deep grooves, so they had these strong serrations, but on the Trudon, they weren't quite so deep. They were more, you know, semi-serrated. <laughs> so that's what Sabrina's referring to there.
1: The species' name is Trudon formosus, although there may be other Trudon species. I'll get to that in a little bit. Fossils have been found in Alaska, Wyoming, and possibly Texas and New Mexico. It was discovered in 1855, and it was one of the first dinosaurs found in North America. It was found by Ferdinand V. Hayden, although it wasn't named until 1856 by Joseph Leidy. It was originally spelled Trudon, where the second O had an umlaut, but... Then, in 1876, paleontologist Savage changed the name to lose the umlaut. The type specimen was based on one tooth found in Judith River Formation, which caused some classification problems, understandably. (laughs) Originally the Trudon tooth was classified as a lizard. Then it became a megalosaurid in 1901, which is the wastebasket taxon. And then Charles Gilmore suggested in 1924 that it was a Pachycephalosaur, and the family Pachycephalosauridae was known as Trudontidae for a while. But in 1945, Charles Mortem Sternberg said that Trudon's teeth were too similar to carnivorous dinosaurs and reclassified it as a theropod, which made the name Trudontidae irrelevant and... The family with Stegosaurus and other Pachycephalosaurs was renamed Pachycephalosauridae. In 1932, Sternberg found a foot, parts of a hand, and tail vertebrae in the dinosaur park formation in Alberta. He named it Stenonicosaurus, but in 1951 decided it was closely related to Trudon, though at that time no other specimens had been discovered yet to test his theory. Dale Russell found a more complete Stenonychus in 1969, also from Dinosaur Park Formation, and it was a well-known theropod in the 1980s. It was classified as part of the family Saurornithoididae, along with Saurornithoides, which were considered to be close relatives of Trudon. In 1987, Phil Curry analyzed the specimens and found that the different tooth and jaw structures of Trudontids and Sauronithoidids were because of age and not difference in species. So he reclassified Stenonicosaurus inequalis as a junior of Trudon formosus, along with Polydontosaurus grandis and Pectinodon Baccarai. In 1988, Gregory S. Paul also classified Sorornithoides mongoliensis as Trudon mongoliensis, although not all scientists accepted that. But Curry and other paleontologists then questioned whether all the specimens were one Trudon species and noted in 1990 that though the specimens from Judith River were Trudon formosus, other Trudontids from Hell Creek Formation and Lance Formation may be different species. George Olshevsky said in 1991 that the Lance formation fossils were Trudon baccarai, formerly Pectinodon baccarai and then Trudon formosus, and other scientists called the Dinosaur Park formation fossils Trudon inequalis, which was formerly Stenonicosaurus inequalis. Paleontologist Zano and his team reviewed Trudontids in 2011 and found that Pectinodon baccarai was a valid genus, and many of the Trudon formosus specimens could be more than one species, but that would require further study. And the holotype Trudon is just one tooth, so Trudon itself may be a dubium. Trudon species come from different areas and lived several million years apart. And one way that can possibly clear up all this confusion about the different species and whether it's one species or multiple or even the same genus is to have a neotype specimen, not just a tooth, to compare all the specimens to and determine if there are multiple species of Trudon. And a neotype specimen will set the standard for the species.
0: Basically replacing the original holotype, which in this case is just a tooth, which seems a little (laughs) bit crazy. That's usually when they do that kind of thing.
1: So on a different note, Dale A. Russell, who found the first Trudon skull, suggested in 1982 that had Trudon not gone extinct, it might have evolved to have a brain case similar to a human's, since its EQ was six times higher than other dinosaurs. It was one of the smartest dinosaurs. He called it a dinosauroid and said that Trudontids would have had large eyes, three fingers on each hand, toothless beaks, and fed their young like birds with regurgitated food, and their language would sound like a bird song. But a lot of paleontologists have criticized this dinosauroid as too anthropomorphic.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that he projected that it would lose its teeth. I wonder why he thinks that.
1: Trudon was pretty small, about 3 feet tall, or 0.9 meters, 7.9 feet long, or 2.4 meters, and weighing about 110 pounds, or 50 kilograms. It reached adult size at 3 to 5 years. It's closely related to dromaeosaurids and both of these theropod groups are the closest relatives to birds, although scientists have decided that dromaeosaurids are the ones that are the direct line to modern birds. Trudon was bipedal and had a stiff tail, long hind limbs so it could probably run quickly, and a retractable sickle claw on its second toes, which didn't touch the ground when it was running. It may have had primitive feathers, which for the ones that lived in Alaska, it could have helped for insulation, and Trudon in general probably preferred cooler climates. It lived near streams and deltas of coastal plains in Laramidia, along with Yopocephalus, Dromaeosaurus, and Nanaxaurus. And it had a very large brain relative to its body mass, similar to modern birds. And actually, scientists who reconstructed a Trudon's brain found that it may have begun to fold onto itself, which is different from other reconstructed dinosaur brains. This folded, wrinkled look is seen in humans and animals with lots of brain power. It's hard to know Trudon's actual intelligence, but scientists think it was at least as smart as a modern possum. As we mentioned earlier, there's debate over whether Trudon was an omnivore or carnivore. So the serrations in its teeth are somewhat similar to herbivorous reptiles, so it may have been an omnivore. Trudon's jaws met in a broad U-shape similar to an iguana, which eats plants, and it had grasping hands and it was smart, so it was kind of similar to raccoons in that way, which are omnivores. Trudon also had an opposable finger. It's not clear how it used it, but that may have helped it search for prey in branches or on the ground. It could have been a predator since it had a sickle claw and binocular vision, and it had recurved teeth, which means it curved towards the tip pointing to the back of the mouth to help seize prey. T-Rex also had a U-shaped snout so that it could take larger bites of prey, which is why there was debate over maybe it being a carnivore instead of an omnivore. Trudon also had a good sense of hearing and a better sense of smell than modern birds, although not as good as crocodiles and large theropods like T-Rex. It had large eyes, so it may have been nocturnal, and they faced slightly forward, so again, had some depth perception, which may have helped it hunt at night or during long winters. Also, Trudon in Alaska may have evolved to be bigger than other Trudons to help fill this gap left by larger carnivores that didn't live there, like, for example, Nanoxaurus is a much smaller version of T. rex, but it lived in Alaska. One study of Trudon teeth found in northern sites, such as Alaska, had larger teeth than ones from southern sites, which is why they think Trudon in the north grew larger and may have been able to hunt larger animals. But they also found wear patterns in its teeth to show that it ate soft plants, or soft foods, not tough plants, possibly meat. One Trudon bone may have had a bite wound. Some have speculated that Trudon hunted in packs, though there's no real evidence. So it maybe it ate a mix of small lizards and invertebrates and plant material. Jack Horner found nests in two medicine Formation in Montana in 1983, along with David Vericchio, and Vericchio and his team described in 1997 these Trudon nests. They were dish-shaped, about 100 centimeters in diameter, with a rim encircling the eggs. They were complete nests that had between 16 and 24 eggs, and the eggs were shaped like long teardrops. They found that, based on the nests, Trudon reproduced in a way somewhat in between crocodiles and birds. The eggs were grouped as pairs, so that means Trudon had two functional ovaries, like crocodiles. Birds only have one, and that was possibly because they could evolve to fly and be a little bit lighter. And Trudon laid eggs that weighed about 0.5 kilograms for a 50 kilogram adult, which is 10 times larger than reptiles, the same mass, but similar to the size of um, bird eggs for the similar mass. Vericci on his team also found evidence of iterative laying, which means laying a pair of eggs every day or two, and then delay brooding until they finished laying their eggs, so that the embryos were all in the same stages of development, and they probably hatched around the same time, And it may have taken 45 to 65 days to lay, brood, and hatch. There's no evidence that once they hatched, they stayed in the nest. They may have left like crocodiles. The site had a male adult Trudon. So the team found that male Trudons probably brooded, not the females, based on this male adult Trudon that they found. And they knew it was male because it did not have bone resorption patterns that would indicate it was an egg-laying female. Trudon's eggs were laid vertically. They would have buried the bottoms of the egg in mud, which is something similar to what birds do, rather than crocodiles, which completely bury their eggs. And it's also similar to the Egyptian plover bird that broods eggs that are partially buried in sand. The team studied the eggs and compared them to the number of pores in bird and crocodile eggshells, and crocodile eggs have more pores for respiration since they're buried. And this study could help figure out how future dinosaur eggs that are found were incubated. Trudon today is a small group of Manoraptorans, and they're small and very bird-like. One Trudontid called Sinovenator is very similar to Archaeopteryx. Some scientists have suggested that Trudontidae were ancestors of birds, but most believe that the ancestors were Dromaeosaurs. Trudontid genuses include Sauronithoides from Mongolia, Trudon from North America, and Synorthoids. Other Trudontids include Borgovia, which was named after a Lewis Carroll poem, and Xanabazar, which was named after a Mongolian spiritual figure. There's also another Trudontid called May, which I'll get to in a minute. Trudontids have lots of teeth and closely spaced teeth in their lower jaws. They have long legs, a large curved claw on their second toes that retracts when it runs, which is similar to dromaeosaurids, they have high EQs. They're very smart. They have a good sense of hearing and their ears were asymmetrical. One was higher than the other, similar to owls, so they may have hunted like owls using their hearing to locate prey. Some may have been omnivorous, though most were possibly carnivorous. Some Trudontid fossils show that they roosted like birds and supports the theory that they probably had feathers. In China, there's one called Meilong, which means soundly sleeping dragon, and it's a specimen found with its legs folded and nose tucked under one wing-like arm so it looks like it's sleeping. Primitive Trudontids include Jinfangoteryx and Anchiornis and they've been found fully feathered. And the largest Trudontid is Trudon, and the smallest is inkyornis. And in 2004, Mark Neural and his team found two partial Trudontid skulls in an Oviraptorid nest, and they're not sure why they were there. Maybe they were nest parasites, or even prey for the Oviraptorids or its hatchlings.
0: And our fun fact of the day is that modern birds and reptiles have a single opening in their body for urination, defecation, and reproduction called a cloaca which is actually Latin for sewer. It's a pretty good choice of word, I think. Paleontologists believe that dinosaurs had the same organ and reproduced the same way birds do in an act of touching their cloacas together, which is called a cloacal kiss.
1: And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening, and until next time.